Welcome back to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. David, it's a pleasure to have you back on the show. What's this, your fourth, fifth time on? Something like that. Yeah, good to be back, Robbie. I wish I could give you a mug that had my show on it. So that's what they do on all those famous talk shows. They're all super scripted. Yeah, we'll work on it. I wanted to have you back on because obviously there's a new variant out there. I don't know if you've heard. I'm sure people have already memed it up. I think I've seen BS variant 24-7, I think it was called, what they were naming it. Yeah, what is it? EB5 or something. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, it's one of, yeah, it's it's hard to, you know, coronaviruses produce variants. That's what they do. So it's just, I mean, you know, life is different because we pay people to detect them now. Well, it's for me, it's just interesting because I, I, I wanted to have you on to talk about, do you think that there would be another pandemic style thing like we had the first time around? Obviously, everybody was scared because it was a new thing. We've ne- I don't think we've ever – some people haven't ever experienced that in their lifetime. And I think everyone was scared and we all kind of understood like this is what we had to do for a week or so. And some people had problems with it. I had problems with it. But also we all did it. And then we started to notice that there was more control going on and it seemed less like trying to stop a preventing of a virus and more about what the government can do and will take from you. And I was saying that sounds kind of makes it sound conspiratorial, but it's not really conspiratorial in the way that we are. Some people are, I guess, refused or. They look at it like it's conspiratorial talk when you say that is because the fact the media has done one of the worst possible things it could ever do, and that is label either other medications that have been could have been beneficial for treatment, could have been researched more to for treatment, and have labeled, certainly safe. Yeah. yeah, and I've labeled them, and we just completely disregarded all the other past rules that we have during pandemics or anything of that sort. We completely tossed out all of their health precautions and just went, here's a new one. So we're going to do it this way now. And then everything's got to be Pfizer. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, my life was a bit different because I, I never, you know, participated really in lockdowns and things. So, and, you know, I was in a state that was pretty strict on this, but we, we tried to live as normally as we could with, you know, friends who were willing to do the same um yeah obviously you know it was difficult to, the shops were closed restaurants were closed that sort of thing but we kept you know we go for walks up in the mountains and you know people would hide behind trees because my three-year-old didn't have a mask on i'm not joking here <laughs> we hid in the northwest and um but you know the, and, you know, work became remote, obviously, which is a huge thing. And we had friends who lost their businesses and lost, you know, lost their jobs. So that was, for a lot of people, it was um, pretty hard. I, I was fortunate, I guess, in that one, I'm a, you know, as a public health physician, I've worked on outbreaks. I understood from the start that this was inappropriate and something, you know, weed was going on, I guess, which we can get into. But secondly, I had, you know, because of my job, I could work from home. So it wasn't as devastating to me as it was to a lot of other people. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, the, I mean, just to illustrate that we knew in February, we, you know, people who should know, who could know, knew that this was barely going to affect working age people, young people, children, that it was... The data from China showed it was almost all over 65-year-old, et cetera, that was um, going to die from this virus if they were going to die with it. 
that was published in Lancet in March of 2020 uh, by Imperial College, actually. So this was known. So the, you know, the, as you said, this was the first time we'd ever attempted something like, or this idea of locking everyone down. I mean, in November 2019, WHO said, don't do this, quote, unquote, under any circumstances in their uh, recommendations for pandemic flu. And because, you know, it would do very little to stop the virus, but it would be very harmful to the economy, very harmful to job, very harmful to healthcare. And, you know, we've seen all that. So that sales pitch isn't going to work again this time around. I think now with how much information has come out, I mean, the amount of lying emails, exposure, the connected of all the media and all these lies that have been exposed. I think now when you're talking about like, oh, do what the healthcare people say, like the word science is completely gone. There's like a TM above it now. Fact has a TM above it. Experts has a TM above it. Like there's so much now where if you're doing it because oh the healthcare people say this is the most this is the most beneficial way and they know because there's the experts i see a lot more people going yeah that that word doesn't mean shit to me anymore and that's a good thing in my opinion after the hell that, that we've been through the past couple of years i don't mean distrust every expert but now there's more of a priority of like okay they're saying this but we've seen them lie and then they also lied about saying that they didn't lie or they told me the lie was for my best interest. And it's like, OK, now that we're all opening up the playing field and realizing that there's some serious corruption in these institutions that we should be holding at high appraise. But now it's kind of affecting everything where now the word doctor, people don't even want to go to their doctors anymore. So that's an issue. It is. And, you know, a lot of things that come out in this, just on the doctor bit, for instance, you know, I, I'm a doctor. I hadn't realized because I work in public health, not clinically here in the US. I hadn't realized that, you know, doctors get a bonus if they get a certain percentage of their clientele vaccinated, for instance. Now, you know, this is insane because, you know, whether you need a vaccine or not, you know, there's risks and there's benefits of any medicine you discuss with your doctor, you take it, you don't take it. But to give financial incentives for medications is the opposite of developing a trusting doctor-patient relationship. Every time your doctor says, you know, take this or take that, you'll be thinking quite rightly in your mind, is the doctor saying that because they're going to get more money from the, in this case, you know, one of the insurance companies, or are they saying it because it's actually beneficial for my health? And once you've got that question, the, the trust has gone out of the relationship. So, you know, this has crept in and a lot of us, I think one thing COVID's done is made people aware of, of this sort of issue. Um, so, yeah, the I mean, uh, the, we have the CDC now and, you know, other authorities pushing, you know, we should be wearing masks again, et cetera, et cetera. I flew across the US and back last week, and I think I saw 2% of people in airports and planes wearing masks. So that's really encouraging because it suggests that people are, that people are getting much more aware of these issues. And, you know, science is still science. I mean, it's just that it's been corrupted and the word has been co-opted by people who aren't the least bit interested in it. You know, the classic was Fauci who said, you know, essentially, I am the science. Uh, but the same man, he he said the vaccine will stop transmission. And the same person wrote this year in 
a journal in January that injectable vaccines are never go, never going to be effective for um, respiratory viruses. And he, he laid out the reasons why and why natural infection was going to be far more effective at stopping the next infection of the virus. So you know, when he was saying, you know, I am the science, he was at the same time lying. He knew. So he was lying about immunology to the public. So, you know, in those, and we, we've seen that sort of thing repeatedly. So we have to, you know, I think it's really healthy that the public is questioning these people who claim to be experts or are put in front of us as experts. It, it, it's unfortunate that that shifts to the idea that, you know, science is intrinsically wrong or corrupt or something. I mean, science is really just the art of questioning what is around us and then investigating with an open mind to try to answer those questions and raise new questions. That's really what science is. So as soon as you say, you know, the science is fixed, as we keep hearing, then you know that that person isn't engaging at all in the art of science. They're engaging in dogma, which is the complete opposite. It's like the Spanish Inquisition versus the Enlightenment. Well, I would think science would be kind of willed to be flowed a little bit when it comes to being questioned. Like you should be able to question some parts of science and science should hold strong to some of those questions. My issue is that some of those people that ask those questions, not just citizens, but just respected doctors with their own personal opinions and their own medical ex expertise were then silenced. And we don't see any recovery for those guys we don't see any damages due for them or anything of that sort their careers were either blacklisted off twitter social media platforms called the misinformation articles horrible articles written about them and where's their damages do they get due now even though all this information has been coming out over the past couple of years since we've opened back up and it's been showing that a lot of these experts or people that were heads of authority giving us rules didn't really know what they said they knew, which a lot of people were kind of saying that anyway. But then you got labeled a conspiracy theorist. As much as Ivermectin got labeled as a horse pace, there's plenty of people out there that are respected people that lost their practices, lost their a bunch of their just experience went right out the window. Like nobody even cared because they were labeled a certain way. Peter McCullough, Robert Malone, uh, Dr. Pierre Corey, re respected, nice guys. I talked to them, but they're trying their hardest to fight for justice now and everyone kind of looks at them like anti-vaxxer i'm like that's not what this is this is something a little bit more more like they push something onto us that shouldn't have been pushed onto us and the ideas of safety but really align their pockets yeah very much so you know ivermectin is a good example it's you know merck their drug company has donated four billion doses for human use um apart from the stuff that people are buying, it's one of the most widely used drugs you know, on earth. It's used for mass treatment for um, particularly uh, river blindness and other sort of parasitic infections. It's, you know, the Gates Foundation has been funding trials of um, for malaria because if you take an ivermectin, then a mosquito bites you, the mosquito dies. So the idea that they can give it to mass populations for, um, you know, to reduce mosquito numbers in 
areas with a lot of malaria. It's an interesting approach. And you only do that, you only consider that with a drug <clears throat> that you know is really safe. Because in this case, the person's not getting a direct benefit from the drug, it's a benefit for the community. So you have to have, you know, near zero side effects. So, you know, at the same time that these trials have been going forward, we've had authorities related to these people who are saying, you know, this is a horse paste and not for human use, um, which, yeah, I mean, they know when they say that, that they are not telling the truth. So you can sort of twist things around and say somehow they thought there's a greater benefit, but it, it's hard to see what the greater good is in stopping people from taking a drug that at least is extremely safe what? and may or may not be beneficial. This is something I've heard from multiple people, but it's when you start saying like, give them the benefit of the doubt, like kind of like maybe they didn't know what they were pushing or maybe something like this. I'm not going to do that anymore. No, um, they, they knew. That's what I'm saying that, that they knew. So you can try to twist it around and say there's some good in there, but I can't see how you can really do that. Um, and, you know, lying to the public in that way is extremely harmful. And still lying about it to this day. There's people that are still double downing on it. I mean, I know you mentioned the two percent in the airport that weren't that were wearing masks, but I'm starting to notice a lot of these people. Like I'm coming across it on social media that are very, very still like a hundred percent like in like in the beginning when we knew nothing basically like double masking wear masks you know your kids can wear a mask stop saying that it's hurting your kids or anything like that I'm like but we have so much more information now so people that aren't willing to not look at that new stuff and strictly go by what has multiple i mean multiple times over changed in the dictionary definition of vaccinated and all these types of things that they have had for the longest time that have all changed in the past couple of years they're gonna hold by that and i'm like look man i mean I get it. Like they're a doctor, but just because you have a doctor in front of your name doesn't mean they're giving you the 100 percent honest facts of every single thing. And it seems like this whole pandemic has been thrown into a political side of things. You know, either we're not going to roll out vaccines because Trump's still in office or we're going to do something different of that sort. I'm like, I thought this was about helping people. Wouldn't you look for any medication that could be a potential benefit, not just for an emergency use? Yeah, and that, that sort of brings you to the and start think what is behind this. Um, you know, the we've been yeah, and you can see, you know, the, even the the narrative that we have that you know, let's the next pandemic is around the corner, which is trying to push this on to us. You know, for further lockdowns, etc. Clearly, and you know, historically, you know, since we've had antibiotics. So after the Spanish flu, we had a, a flu, flu pandemic in 1957 to 58. There's one in the late 60s um, where people just went on as normal and got on with their lives. And, you know, there's an increase in flu deaths. Then, you know, the, it, we, we talk about SARS and Ebola and so on. I mean, SARS killed 840 people in the whole world, SARS-1. That, that's a third of the number that die every single day from, say, malaria. So we we haven't had a big outbreak of anything um, really since this, since we've had antibiotics, since the Spanish flu. And that's because even with a viral infection, most deaths are probably due to secondary infections with bacteria that are easy to treat now. 
So with COVID, the average age of death in certainly in Europe was about 82, 83 years of age. In most countries, the average age of death of COVID was older than the average age of death overall. So this was a disease of very old people by and large. Um, you know, we, we have these facts, but we're being told that it was an existential threat to which we were just saved and that the next pandemic is around the corner. Yeah, more even at the worst of COVID in the United States, which had one of the highest recorded mortalities, more people were dying of cancer, more people were dying of heart disease, you know, during 2020, 2021. So, and the people who were dying of COVID, they almost all had, you know, chronic renal failure, diabetes, et cetera, and other severe diseases that were going to greatly shorten their life and they were already old. So it's not downplaying the fact that COVID unfortunately killed people. Um, but it is, you know, compared to the other causes of death and the other issues around health, it has never been a huge issue numerically. It's a huge issue because it was in the media and the media told us it was. But there are still a lot of people in this country who've had no one in their extended families died with COVID. Um, so... You know, we have to look, it makes you look, what is what on earth is going on here? You know, why do we suddenly have these states of emergency uh, where, and it, it's becoming clear now that a lot of these in this country were not constitutional. You know, that there was no law that said the police could um, keep you in your house. It's just that people somehow thought there was, so they complied because the government, who should know better, they should know the constitution said so. Um, I said it right from the beginning. I asked everyone, I was like, you know, this is against our constitutional rights to stay inside of our homes like this, right? And be forced to. And nobody saw it as that. They kind of saw it as like, I'm pretty sure the concern of the world when it comes to a deadly virus is trumps your constitutional rights. I was like, yeah, but when does anybody who gets power give up the power? That's my issue is that I just don't see that letting up until people start really pushing back. Yeah. And firstly, it, firstly, it doesn't trump your constitutional rights. The constitution, the reason we have constitutions is because otherwise people will use emergencies and other events like that to remove our rights. And as you said, they never come back. So it actually doesn't trump the constitution. But if you've got a, a deadly virus and people are dropping dead in the streets, like you know the bubonic plague in the Middle Ages, then you don't need to tell people to stay in their houses. People will stay in their houses. The fact was with COVID, um, it wasn't like that, in fact. And so, and, you know, we knew that the vast majority of people were not at great risk. So actually they should have been out there. And, you know, people talk about, yeah, there's a deadly virus. Okay. Stopping people from getting screened from cancer is also a deadly thing. Stopping people from go from, you know, discouraging people from going when they got chest pain to get a checkup is a deadly thing. We know that poorer people die younger. So at a, not, a rate that's not that indifferent from COVID. So if you decimate employment and you make people much poorer, they lose their life savings, et cetera, on average, they would die a few years younger. So we know that. So, you know, this is the same. You, you can't say there's a deadly virus, so we're going to bring in all these other measures that we know will shorten people's lives and increase the risk of cancer, increase the risk of dying heart disease, et cetera. It, it makes no sense at all.
Are you optimistic or pessimistic about another pandemic happening and then us going back into lockdown? I just I I see too many people that during the lockdown the first time when they were collecting unemployment, they really enjoyed that and liked not having to work. But then after a while, it was kind of like, all right, I want to go back to work. Then they went back to work and now look at everyone in their job security now. Nobody gives a shit about working anymore. Everyone just wants to be back home getting paid again. And I go, if they incentivize another lockdown with more money, then, I mean, are we going to have enough people that are going to be speaking out saying, no, we want to work, we demand to work? Like, let the people stay home that want to stay home if they don't feel comfortable. But a lot of people want to get there. I mean, so you mentioned it earlier, but businesses, um, you know, small businesses, a lot of them shut down and a lot of them didn't recover. A lot of them had to close permanently. But the guys that finally got back on their feet now, you know, I live in a beach town. That's how they make their money is summers and, you know, trying their hardest on like, you know, work as much as you possibly can. They just got back to normal again. And now we're talking about lockdowns again or po potentially another pandemic fear scaring. But I, I, I'm just curious. I mean, do you are you optimistic or pessimistic about another lockdown situation? The first, let's remember, places like South Dakota didn't, didn't lock down. They came out the same in the you know, in the big picture. They got lucky. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> you could look at it that way. Um, you know, Sweden came out with the, the lowest all-cause mortality in the OECD in Europe. I mean, they've done better than any other European country in terms of the number of people overall dying. So that's pretty illustrative that lockdowns did not help. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, firstly, I, I'm very optimistic that there won't be another natural um, pandemic for the next couple of decades because they only occur naturally, you know, every three or four decades and they don't kill many people when they happen. Um, I'm less optimistic that a pandemic will be declared. One, because like it appears with this virus, you know, there's a lot of gain of function research going on out there, people manipulating viruses, accidents happen. Some of these viruses will be released. This is why, you know, the Obama administration tried to put unsuccessfully as it turns out a moratorium on gain-of-function research yeah, for these viruses because it was too dangerous but unfortunately it appears certain institutions went ahead and kept funding it overseas in other people's labs and there we are we have a almost certainly a gain-of-function generated virus that's killing people um so that will happen again probably um we don't know when but also the definition of pandemic is essentially being change of health emergency. So, and, you know, we know about the, the amendments to the international health regulations and the treaty that have been worked on at the World Health Organization, for instance, and they're going to be talked about this coming week in the UN General Assembly. So the idea of them is to make it much easier to declare these health emergencies, international health emergencies. So you won't need people dying. You just need a threat of a disease um, and they put a big surveillance network is being developed around us it's very expensive we were paying for it with our taxes which is looking for viral variants in all countries so we'll find them just like the variants we're talking about with the SARS-CoV-2 the COVID virus because these are natural and every time a variant comes up you can um, postulate that 
this could be a threat to humanity and therefore we need to lock down these countries close borders etc and the treaty and the the health regulation amendments are going to give the power to who just to um demand essentially that the borders are closed people are locked down so we will have that then we have a hundred day mrna vaccine program at cepi which is a public-private partnership based in Europe, again, that we're paying for. This will, so this is moving ahead quickly. They will have, they will have a 100-day mRNA vaccine, and they're working on streamlining or removing the regulatory hurdles so that they can get these out quickly to the population. They will use this to then say, you can be vaccinated and show it on your vaccine passport, and you will get out of the lockdown. As we saw particularly in Europe, but also here in the US with, um, with, with COVID. So you will have the vaccine. This will generate a few hundred billion dollars for the companies that are sponsoring this whole process. And you'll get your freedom back until the next variant, which will be quite soon after, either accidental release or they'll find a variant and say it could be serious, et cetera. So we're generating this perpetual health emergency if we go back to 2019 we weren't in perpetual health emergencies we didn't fret every day about the next variant around the corner we got on with our lives and we we're actually fine um the the threat itself isn't different now the only difference is the psychology that's being of people and the messaging that's being pushed at us and there are about two trillion dollars was made and you know individual companies made hundreds of billions from the response to COVID. people need to understand this it wasn't we are all in this together the majority of the population got poorer but individuals got tens of billions or more and individual companies got hundreds of billions and they are the companies that have been giving directed funding to the World Health Organization increasingly over the last couple of decades, particularly around vaccines and around health emergencies. So, and they're the companies that are pushing now this agenda of, um, you know, that the next pandemic is around the corner. So people need to realize this isn't a public health driven issue. Public health tells us that we should inform the population honestly, that we need to look at a virus or whatever other threat in the context of everything else you know if you thinking you're going to lock people down you know there is a cost you you absolutely have to weigh that cost against the cost of not locking down and figure out which is the best way which we never had well they never knew the cost at the time remember the cdc ended up bailing out and they were like it was your governor's fault that you guys were on lockdown so i was like hang on a second in the beginning it was the message from the cdc but they're like now nah, fuck it push it on the governor's yeah, but they didn't know the cost because we know in public health, you know, it's very well established that poverty increases a whole range of diseases. We know that if you stop screening for cancer, you'll get more advanced cancers. Domestic violence went up, suicide went up, all these things started going yes. up. Yeah, substance abuse, um, domestic violence, etc. We know these go up when people get confined. We know that child abuse goes up when the schools are closed because the teachers aren't picking up the signs. So this is um you know this is known it wasn't none of that's a surprise so 
So it's not a public health response or a rational one. So it must be something else. And so, you know, you can look at who made money out of this process and who is pushing it. And you find they're the same groups of people. So it's pretty logical to see this then as a sort of a business, you know, there's a business case behind this and they there's a lot of money to be made. They should have put a kibosh on that. They should have found a way to make sure that this was not profitable for any company. That means if you're getting a government patent to, you know, create these vaccines or anything like that, you're not making a profit off of it. Or if anything, it's pennies. It's like as much as it would be to get vitamin D or something like that, like that you shouldn't have been making that much money off of these vaccines. And you you can't ask a business person to take a like the Pfizer guy. I'm not asking him to take the kindness out of his heart and go take all of them for free. I'm not because that's never going to happen. That's a perfect world right there, um, which we don't live in. But just be like, yeah, we're going to buy the patent for this and then we're going to make it ourselves. So it's pennies and it's not going to cost us anything more than however much that guy. I made and also the information the documents should be released to the public and shouldn't be delayed for 75 years or however long you're going to have uh, some skeptical people on the data and i think their terms were that we don't want people to misinterpret the data and i'm like that's fine but if you know if you got something illegal in there and we see it i don't know how else we're going to interpret it besides that you're using something that you're probably not supposed to be using so just show that here's this and most people aren't going to understand it and they're going to go okay give me the shot i feel comfortable since you gave it to me that was it it was just about having some transparency as well too so if we're going to talk about proper precautions for the next possible pandemic that's looming over everybody's head take the profitability out of it Nobody should be making money off of this thing. No giant corporations and businesses for pumping out vaccines. And also at the same time, I think they should be transparent. Yeah. From the very beginning there, we had a lot of sort of sound bites through this, but one of them was we were all in this together. Yeah. If we're all in it together, then the people who could work at home on zoom and still get paid, their, their income should have been docked. So that to support the people who lost their businesses, who couldn't work at all, whose factories were closed. And then we would all be in it together. And if you did that, if those who are fortunate enough to be able to sit at home working on Zoom, if they got 30% less income so that we were all in the same situation, then I think the lockdown would have stopped within a few weeks. It managed to go on because people were, yeah, enough people were still getting paid and still comfortable so they could do this sort of virtual virtue signaling sort of issue that, you know, we're in a pandemic, we have to lock down, it's bad luck for the people who, um, you know, have lost their life savings and lost their, their pensions and their kids will never go to college, et cetera. But, you know, it's for the greater good. It was for the greater good because they weren't suffering at all. They had no downside. And I know a lot of people who had no downside. I know other people who lost their jobs, lost their houses, had to move into state and so on. So, yeah, it was never all in this together. And, and then, you know, we had these people who made all this money out of it. Um, who often were orchestrating the lockdowns in the first place. So it was, you know, that was always false messaging. And if it, if we had all been all been in it together, then I think it would have stopped much, much sooner. What was the weirdest kind of reaction that came out of the pandemic in your eyes? 
It, it could be healthcare officials, but for me, it was people taking a photo while they're getting their shot. I just thought that was the weirdest, like, acceptance searching from the general public of showing everybody that you're like this good person. Look at me. I'm getting my second shot or, you know, they have the mask on and everything, giving the thumbs up with the bandaid. And I'm just like, why are you doing just get it and walk away? Why do you need to let every it's like Facebook posting. Like you don't need to post 10 times in a day what you had for breakfast. Yeah, I think it gave people a chance to be in a, to belong to something, to belong to a movement. They obviously felt desperate to do that. Um, yeah, I think one of the weirdest things for me was the people who um, got the vaccination and got really sick and then thought that was a good thing and that was okay. And they said that shows it's working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, if a medicine makes you sick, it's, it's not, you know, your body gets sick because there's something wrong. So, yeah, I remember sitting on a bus once and I was, there's someone behind me who was sort of pale and sweating. And I was listening to him, he was talking to the person and sitting next to him. And he was explaining how sick he felt and that he just had, and then he says, yeah, I just had the booster yesterday. And so, you know, I think I'll take a few days off. And so, you know, if you get a, a vaccine and it's, you have to take a few days off work and you're feeling really sick and you're pale and so on, there's some, you know, that's worse than most people got with COVID. You know, there's something wrong there. It doesn't mean that, you know, the vaccine is definitely not working or whatever, but it, it you start to question, you know, is this normal? We now know, you know, quite a significant number of these people have signs of inflammation in the heart muscle, et cetera. We know that, you know, the vaccine is absorbed by most organs in the body, the body, their uh, lipid nanoparticles. And the way it works, it, the mRNA vaccines, they cause your cells to produce a foreign protein. Your body attacks those cells and kills it. So it's not surprising that some people get quite sick with this. Um, it should raise red flags. You know, is this really an overall good for everyone or do we need to be a bit more nuanced in who is being vaccinated and who is not? Do you think the vaccines had a positive or negative effect? Like, which do you think in your mind? I mean, I would have said they had more of a negative impact only because they, the way that they rolled it out, they were forcing it on people. I mean, in the beginning, it was come and get it. And everyone was trying to line up or most people were trying to line up to get it. But then eventually the people that weren't getting it and they realized they weren't going to get it, they started kind of scale started tipping and it started being coming to the point of vaccination coming to your house or, you know, some type of vaccination pass to get into a business or a work or an ID card. And I go, that could have put us in a really, really dark spot. Well, it did for a lot of people. A lot of people lost their jobs. Yeah. Thousands and thousands of people. A buddy of mine quit his job because they were forcing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and that should be a red flag as well, because, you know, we know, you know, CDC, were, you know, they published in 2021 their study showing that post-infection immunity was more effective than the vaccine in keeping people out of hospital, which isn't a surprise. This is what Fauci published on last January, January this year as well. He explained why that's the case, and it was always going to be the case, that post-infection immunity is better. So there was never any reason to vaccinate anyone who had already been infected. They already had good 
immunity that was much broader than the vaccine could provide. So that was illogical. You know, we knew from the outset that working age adults, healthy working age adults, children, et cetera, are extremely low risk from this virus. So that there was never a reason to throw them out of jobs or out of venues because they weren't vaccinated. The vaccine was not stopping transmission. And that was very clear from very soon after they rolled it out. So, you know, that was often put as a reason, still is in places like Australia. We still have people saying it'll stop transmission, which is just ludicrous. You know, there's study after study that shows that you know, after several months, it can actually increase transmission. You get negative e efficacy for infection. So uh, there is never a justification for this. So again, you have to look at, well, logically, why did that happen? It, it, there's no public health justification. So presumably, it's to get more vaccines into people. If there's no health reason for that, then it's presumably a financial reason. Do you know about some of the side effects after getting COVID? Obviously, the sense of smell that people talked about. I have a buddy who still doesn't have a sense of smell. And then I've also seen brain fog get brought up a lot. But then I've talked to people deeper about brain fog. And I mean, that could be a whole range of other issues as well, too, whether it's a hydration issue, a sleep issue, you know, some other disorder like ADHD can give you brain fog, which I have, which is possibly why I might have brain fog. But um, I think a lot of people got into these long lasting COVID effects or these after syndrome effects. And starting to look at it a little bit deeper and how they can also be other things like anxiety and stuff like that. I go, is this bullshit? Like, I hate to say that, but if you look at like the COVID numbers that spiked up and the flu completely disappeared for a while, is it possible they were just calling COVID, which was really the flu, but they were just using that because the flu completely just went away. It's not like it, we stopped having the flu. So that's my where I'm kind of going with this logic. I was like, are you guys hijacking the COVID long-term symptoms? Because I've talked to some people who research COVID for WHO, and they don't believe the long-term effects of COVID. They believe it's something else, but we're just now labeling it under that umbrella because it sounds sexy. And I'm like, so is I mean, are they just hijacking terms? Do I have to trust everything now? I mean, I don't know if you looked into long-term effects at all from COVID, but. Yeah, and this is one of these things that people get really hot under the collar about, like, you know, do masks work or not? You know, this becomes a, a, almost a political, you know, you define your life around long COVID's true or not. Respiratory viruses often cause, well, not often, but they they all can cause post-viral syndrome. So people can get the flu and they can be debilitated, really, for the rest of their lives. Uh, we don't know why this happens, but some people react very differently and they get these post-viral syndromes. So it's pretty logical that that will sometimes happen with the SARS-CoV-2 viruses or with other viruses. Um, the, the sense of smell is interesting. It's very unusual to, and it seemed to be yeah, characteristic of COVID. So and yeah, initially the early variants had an unusual that they were lower risk respiratory tract rather than upper, and that's partly due to the cell entry with the ACE and um, receptor, etc. So the they were unusual. You know, the pattern was unusual. It's pretty clear that this was a it was a different virus from other coronaviruses, and it was a real thing. There was a real syndrome there. There was a real sickness that was you know had 
certain characteristics that suggested this was probably this virus. So, but at the same time, we had this really unprecedented in our society's level of fear and you know hysteria essentially and we had lockdowns we had people unable to go to college unable to go to school unable to go to work and this has a lot of psychological effects on people as well so yeah things that there are quite a lot of studies large studies where they've looked at symptoms that are called long covid and then they've gone back and looked at markers of past infection and there's almost no difference between the rate of these symptoms in people who had no history of COVID and the rate of these symptoms in people who had had COVID, which suggests that you know most of these symptoms long that we're calling long COVID are due to other reasons, you know, the psychological effects of lockdowns, et cetera. You know, we, we, locking down is something we used to do to criminals. We don't do it to normal people because we know it's psychologically harmful. So it's not surprising that people get brain fog or whatever they want to call it. There's another study, it's, uh, sorry, it's either in JAMA or Nature a few weeks ago. It's an important study where they looked at people who had had COVID in certain months or hadn't, and then they looked at six months down the track and 12 and 18 months and then mortality. And after six months, there's no increase in mortality. It's actually less, you were slightly less likely to die if you'd had COVID than if you hadn't. So that is pretty strong evidence that there's no, you know, people won't keep dying after several months after COVID. So there's no illness that's going to, that's that serious, that's going to shorten people's life expectancy. So yeah, there are probably, you know, there's probably a post-virus syndrome with COVID, like there are with other viruses. Um, it's nothing, you know, there are some people going out saying it's 20 to 30%, which is quite ludicrous, I think. And it is so low that it is hard to distinguish from the other effects of the changes that we had in the last few years. It doesn't mean it's not it's not real for some people. Do you, so when it comes to vaccine side effects, why do you think people were so dismissive if you talked about vaccine side effects? I had interviewed two vaccine lawyers on my show, obviously one about other vaccines, not just the COVID one, but th there was, it, it, those episodes obviously can't go on YouTube because they talk about vaccines in general and you really can't do that. But there's, yeah, there was, you know, what's funny is Dr. Drew. He was like, I've watched him flip. He used to be like very get your shot and everything like that when vaccines come out. And then six months after, I guess that happened, he shifted and started interviewing like people like Robert Malone. I had his guest host, Kelly Victory on here. And um, they banned his channel recently on YouTube because before they were having him because he was up there pitching everything. Get the shot. It's great. Get that. And then he started interviewing people with a thing. And then he even put a disclaimer at the bottom of his videos. He lost everything. And I go, wow, they did that to you. And I was like that to me, that was just interesting. But the complete dismissal of vaccine side effects, when we know that everything that you put in your body from food to water to supplements can have a side effect to it. This wasn't like a thing that could never have something to it. And then when people did start experiencing, I think we're seeing more talk about it now. Um, but it, it's it's not only censorship on the people that had side effects. 
like YouTube, for instance, they changed their guidelines about a year in um, because they realized that saying that you can't talk about vaccine side effects. There were people out there that were starting GoFundMes trying to get money for themselves because they're experiencing a side effect and they need help because no one's helping them. There's no the compensation program is dog shit. So YouTube goes, okay, you can talk about it only if it's you that's experiencing it. Now, I could not myself interview vaccine side effect people because it would throw me in a category of anti-vax or even some of these episodes would. But the censorship and self-censorship when there's people that are hurting out there to me was interesting because in the beginning of the pandemic, everyone was getting other people's groceries if they couldn't leave their house. Now we're at a point where we're calling someone a piece of shit if they talk about, oh, I can't move my hand because I got a vaccine and this is linked to this. Oh, where's your document that shows the government accepts that? It's like, well, I've been waiting in this program for fucking eight months. You tell them. Yeah, the, you know, the, the fears, the, the CDC um, database for associations of you know adverse events with vaccines it was through the roof very early in you know after the vaccine rollout so yeah the, the people go on suddenly about oh this doesn't mean anything of course it means something you know about 70 80 percent are put there by medical practitioners you can self-report but the vast majority of medical it takes a long time to fill out a form so people only do it if they're you know it, we know it greatly underrepresents side effects it's there for a reason. CDC put the thing there because they need a red flag system like this to look into it. So they had their red flag system putting up huge red flags higher than ever before for any vaccine. And the, the response wasn't, okay, we'll go and look at this seriously. It was, I oh, will just denigrate the whole idea that beers means anything. Um, so it's almost, yeah, it's almost like a, um, a dogma or religion, isn't it? You you if you talk about vaccine side effects even if the person in front of you obviously had one then you're somehow you know, i mean it's certainly if you come from say the left side of politics and you're suddenly a heretic you're you're pro-trump even though you know trump still boasts about how he got the vaccine out but somehow you know it, Someone somehow concocted society concocted this idea that if you talk about side effects of a vaccine, which every vaccine has side effects of various sorts, if you talk about them, you are suddenly in some you know far right political grouping that's um, conspiracy theorists, which whatever. is so not leftist. You would think the left would be against authoritarian controls of locking people down. You would think so. But, um, you know, we've seen, yeah, I mean, we see this corporate authoritarian, you know, government in line with huge industry pushing this whole agenda. We see um, the removal of basic rights, declaration of emergencies, confinement of people, you know, we've, we've never seen before on mass. This um, demanding papers, demanding proof of compliance to get into a restaurant, to get into a venue, etc. Um, vilification, denigration of people as we've been talking about who don't agree with this. Um, and yeah, the, the censorship behind all this, censorship of social media, censorship in papers, self censorship we see by people so they don't get vilified. You know, these are all marks of fascism. They're not, 
you know, you can argue about what is happening, but these are all hallmarks of fascism. And, you know, Mussolini and Hitler, they originated sort of on the leftish side of politics. They were seen in their time as progressive. Uh, you know, Hitler was sort of glorified, lauded by the New York Times in the 1930s. He was Time Magazine of the Year. Um, he he was seen as progressive, and people decided they could ignore his, um, you know, the way he denigrated certain minorities, the way he discriminated, the things he was starting to do in the 1930s because he was somehow progressive and it was for the greater good. And it, it is hard to distinguish what has happened in the last few years from what was happening in the 1930s. So to me, it's fascism and it's not unique that fascism has come from the left side of politics. You know, the human rights environment, all these issues have always been important to me. They still are. I, I think universal healthcare is a good thing. Um, I've always seen myself on the left side of politics, but I think we, we should understand better that it is that side of politics that tends also to go down this corporate authoritarian route in the past. And well, we shouldn't me, have had what's happening now. We shouldn't have had any of these public health talks be discussed in the political sense like it was. It was all sucked into it. I mean, the fact that people were refusing to get a vaccine because Trump was president or the fact that people were Fauci, for instance, even stated, I felt like I couldn't express what I really wanted to say because Trump was president. I was like, you're telling me that you denied proper health information or your opinion on health information because the guy who was in charge you scared you like i'm sorry but why is this entering the political realm and it's it's opened up the doors to everything i mean you write for brownstone you there's a bunch of people from different political sides on there i've talked to them on my show from democrats republic i've had good conversations with all of them but they because they all agree that there's something constitutionally wrong about a lot of things and procedures that were going on but i mean did you notice that a lot of more people swaying a certain political direction that spoke out against certain covid lockdown stuff did you notice any of that well i i did and it surprised me because well i didn't it didn't i don't know I, I guess we've all learned a lot about politics over the last few years yeah i would have thought that the left side of politics would be predominantly the ones who would stand up and say we cannot confine people to houses we cannot throw people workers out of jobs um you know we cannot censor the media and stop people from telling the truth or telling the truth as they see it. But, you know, this is, we have universal declarations of human rights for a reason, that's to stop this sort of thing. So I would have thought, you know, I would have thought that people would stand up for, you know, in the bigger picture globally, the, the increase in poverty, which is inevitable from lockdowns, the, yeah, millions, of, and it is millions of girls, additional as child brides, you know, being raped every night. This was a left-wing cause. Female genital mutilation, what's happened to that? It, no one cares anymore, yeah? So the the big human rights causes of pre-2020, they, they disappeared from the left side of politics. So, and, you know, it's interesting that a lot of people who identified as the right side of politics are the ones now standing up. Now, I'm not sure they were standing up so much under Trump, but some of them were. But, it, you know, it is like South Dakota that didn't lock down, that allowed people to make their own decisions. 
but the um but you know Sweden is traditionally on the sort of left of politics so he did something similar as well so uh, in a way, I don't think this is left and right. And I think that maybe over the last few decades, left and right have become a bit murky. Um, and the, poll, I mean, the polls yeah. have definitely changed. That's 100%. Yeah. And to me, this is sort of, you know, do you believe in basic human rights and body autonomy, the right to choose yourself over, you know, your body, your health, your future, what your priorities are? Versus do you believe in a sort of technocratic approach to society where you have a group of experts with, you know, however you define an expert, deciding what is best for everyone else and everyone else has to follow or they suffer the consequences. And that's the two political poles now that we're looking at. Well, it's like I talked to one of these skeptics one time, and he was talking about trying to correct misinformation or how you talk to a conspiracy people. And I, we got into the I think it's I think it's still on YouTube, but I don't know why it is. It's, I guess it's because I let him do a lot of the talking. But we were talking about ivermectin and I just bleeped out ivermectin, just the word. Um, but we were talking about it and he was trying to convince me that, like, there's no need for something like that. I was like, hang on a second. I told him that it won the Nobel Peace Prize. I told him, or not Peace Prize, it won the Nobel Prize for curing river blindness in like 2014. I told him that. And I said, if somebody cures their cancer with cheese, do you sit there and say, fuck you, you didn't take chemotherapy? Or do you say, okay, well, that's a rare occurrence. Good job. We're not going to you know, bank everything on that. My whole thing was, wouldn't you look for every method or every medicine possible to try and help somebody if you really care about helping people get over this horrible sickness or this whatever sickness that you call it? Why would you deny other, other medications and ban hospitals from using them? You know, There are plenty of places that they had been using them before, but they couldn't use them anymore because of uh, there was a ban on them all. And he kind of just looked at me because that's just not how it works. And I was like, what are we fucking talking about? That's not how it works. If we care about people, we should be helping them with every measure we possibly can. Right. And he goes, no, he goes, you get your vaccine. I was like, why is there like a one goal here? Like a one, this is the only thing that we're doing. There's no, but we're all making grapple grummets, whatever the fuck you want to say. Like, it's just, to me, it was just like, I just couldn't get it through his head. Like, I was like, it's not me being a conspiracy theorist saying that he goes, that's conspiracy what you're talking about you're you're being a conspiracy theorist i was like but how if i'm just saying yeah what's the conspiracy yeah, yeah it's like do you take only one thing of tylenol when you get sick or do you take anything generic brand whatever the hell you want to say like it just doesn't make sense that we were selected for only one now i get it for the emergency use of trying to roll that out or do that but also they fund nasa 26 billion dollars a fucking year you're telling me that they only we're going to get funding if it was an emergency use. I, I call bullshit on that. You could have easily taken NASA's budget out for the year and been like, hey, push this on vaccines. And we could have easily there was no scrounging for money that governments got trillions and trillions upon trillions. And fuck New York. Uh, what is it? The, Mayor de Blasio lost eight hundred and fifty million dollars to a mental health fund. He was like, I don't know where it went. I was like, they got money. Don't tell me that everyone's hurting for money because they got money. You know, I feel like, especially I think we saw this when the ventilators happened, people were 
putting people on ventilators, they realized it was bad, but also people, hospitals were calling COVID deaths or regular deaths, COVID deaths, so they can get the money on it because they incentivize people yeah. calling things COVID deaths. It's really weird. It's, I it's don't think that's ever happened it's, before. It's just weird. Yeah. It skews our statistics now of how many people actually died of COVID last year. So now it, imagine if those numbers weren't skewed and the number was really low and we can look back on it and be like, well, COVID wasn't obviously an issue because we only had 800 something deaths or something in the whole world. But all the numbers are skewed now. You don't know what to trust. It's like why climate change is so fucked because everyone's been manipulating the graphs all this time for their own political gain where it's like you can't trust anybody at this point. Yeah, it's um, and it. I ranted. I'm sorry. No, no, that's right. I mean, I know people who've taken shark cartilage for cancer. I, I, I don't think there's, you know, I, I think it's complete rubbish. I don't think it's going to work at all. And um, you know, I actually know people who've lost a lot of money because of it because they were taken along by charlatans. So if someone lies to you about that openly in order to, you know, filter your money over cancer, then, yeah, you can prosecute that person for fraud. But you don't ban shark cartilage. Yeah. In the end, if someone wants to take it, okay, why does society ban them from taking it? Um, you know, ivermectin is a, a very widely used drug. It's... There are trials that show that it has a significant impact in reducing COVID mortality. There's trials that don't. And if you look at the trials, the design of those trials is very significant. And you can design a trial to show that something won't work. So it's quite plausible that ivermectin has a, a significant impact, especially when it's combined with a whole lot of other things, vitamin D, vitamin C, et cetera, which we all know have an impact on T cell function and so on. So they help you to overcome viral infections. This is standard medicine. It's not anything strange. So to to go and ban things like that, you know, we don't do that for any other disease. We, we don't ban, you know, you might ban people from selling mercury because, you know, it was thought 150 years ago that it was useful for infections. Now we know that it's going to kill far more people and we have antibiotics, which don't kill so many people. So, but something, yeah, if you've got something that is harmless, essentially harmless, then, um, you know, it, to, why would you ban something that is essentially harmless? It, 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 either you just, you're addicted to making rules, which again is, I would have thought, against what the left of politics would want. Or it's all about making money from something else and you want to clear the way to make lots of money from another product. It's certainly not honest. So, you know, it, we so this is something that we've really lost sight of. And the whole idea that you restrict people's liberties and restrict basic rights for some sort of, for some outcome that someone has told you is a good idea. Yeah, people should be, as soon as someone says, you're, we're going to take away your the basic rights that you've had all your life, you should start to get suspicious. And um, we've seen, rather than that, we saw a whole lot of people jump on this as if this was a cause that they could get behind. You know, the biggest cause in 2020 was how to, 
stop people from exercising the basic human rights that they thought were theirs by, you know, as any, we thought they belonged to all humans in 2019. It suddenly became a cause to denigrate and vilify people who still went walking in the park, who wanted to keep schools open so their kids can get education because education is supposed to be a basic human right who wanted to you know express their religious views or whatever and the, again you know in the universal declaration of human rights all these things are protected the, the right of to state an opinion is a protected right in the universal declaration of human rights in 2019 all these people their cause was to support that declaration in 2020 it was to actively vilify those who were still supporting him. We also landed in an area where if you had an opinion or you wanted to voice some skepticism on whatever the official narrative was, we could have been labeled domestic terrorists. I mean, they were classifying that by the disinformation board that was supposed to be created to try and handle COVID misinformation. They were going to handle it with the same extremities or extremity of domestic terrorism. And that's a very dangerous place. Honestly, this whole pandemic, and I, you, you come across the various perspectives and kind of people that have different thoughts on control by the government in this. I tend to lean more of the light side, which I do think it was a controlling thing. I do not think it was world population control like some people do. But I also think what this whole mess was, it really divided us as people into very individualized groups and we're stronger together than we are apart. I mean, we were already divided by politics, but this whole thing has created such mass confusion where there's like the conspiracy people, the really conspiracy people, the really, really conspiracy people. And it's created so much craze that goes on where honestly, at this point, everything to me, I kind of look at it with an open mind when it comes to anybody's thoughts on the pandemic. Cause once I start seeing how they got there, it starts to make a lot of sense. I mean, the best explanation i've ever heard about the pandemic was debbie lerman from brownstone when she talked about that this emergency use was all this it was a bioweapons test there were lockdowns everything like that was a good protocol to see if there was going to be a bioweapons that was going to be released and would be all getting our homes to stop infection that made a lot of sense the way she paired everything up and lined it up but also, I mean, look at the psychological damage that came out of this for a lot of people and a lot of children. And look at the I bet you could find a statistic on the number of people that upticked on pharmaceutical drugs. I have a friend that got on three after we opened back up from the pandemic. And I was like, that's crazy. Did you develop anxiety and all that while you were in your home and watching Netflix all day and Ben and Jerry's ice cream? I don't get it. Like I would have got it more at work when someone hands me a $50 bill and I only have to change for a 20, you know? There's there's a little bit of like this kind of what I mean, I get the like I said, I get the understanding of the conspiracy people that say they want to medicate society by doping people up and getting them on pharmaceutical drugs because I can't dismiss it. Because if I look at the pharmaceutical numbers, look what they're everywhere. Their numbers are always constantly going up and more people are going on prescriptive drugs every day and not looking for alternatives. They're not looking to exercise. They're not looking to talk to therapists. They're not looking to anything. It's take a pill. That's a problem with our society. It's always been like this for a while. Now, I think they work. I'm not saying they don't, 
But I'm starting to understand why people have such a deep conspiracy skepticism of like world population control and all this, because their evidence and their statistics for the companies that I'm could try and rationalize a point for, there's no point in me rationalizing it. I don't know why they're keep getting richer and richer and more people are suffering and suffering and being medicated for it. Yeah, well, I think we've got to look at it realistically. And, you know, pharma companies don't exist for the good of other people. I mean, that's, that's just silly. You know, they, they exist to make a profit. They're a business. Like a medical journal it is a business. You know, the medical journals aren't standalone journals. They're for science. They are owned by publishing houses that are owned by larger conglomerates that are owned by... BlackRock and Vanguard and the big investment houses. And this is, I'm not, this isn't a conspiracy. This is the fact. This is how this works. Um, the, the pharmaceutical companies are owned by the same investment houses. If you go back the the media, you know, New York Times, CNN, Time Warner, plus Google, Facebook, Apple, their largest shareholders are these big investment houses. These investment houses, their job is to maximise profits. So the job of a farmer is to maximise profits. Farmer in farmer gives, you know, why do they advertise in newspapers, in the media? One to sell more of their products. Uh, you know, they, they don't add, they don't pay for advertising to get a message out because it's good for people. They pay for advertising to sell their product over other products. And you know, the, the the papers take that advertising because they need that to survive. If they don't get that farmer advertising, they die. You know, the New York Times very likely wouldn't survive without farmer advertising. So you know, this is a business, it's movement of money and it's concentration of wealth. And that is what drives business. That's what drive you know, nearly all businesses, what it's how capitalism works, I guess. Um, when you start getting government, you can start getting individuals and corporations so rich that they can essentially buy governments. And, you know, we have individuals now who have more money than medium-sized countries. We have groups like the World Economic Forum where they meet boasting about how they've penetrated governments, penetrated cabinets, say our swap says. So, I think it, it's easy to see this as basically all about money. And if you start looking at it in those terms, then it becomes less surprising what has happened. If you if you're going to live in some fairyland where all these CEO, you know, the CEOs of Pfizer and Moderna and whatever, they're just there to help people, then okay, it really gets confusing what has happened. But if you look at them as their job in the company is to maximize the return for the investors in that company, to maximize the profits of the company, then why wouldn't they back the groups that are pushing vaccination and fund denigration of those who are not? Why wouldn't they fund fact checkers who then essentially bring false fact checking to denigrate anything that looks bad for their profits? This is how we work as a business. You can argue that perhaps they should have better morals, but we don't ask our businesses to prioritise morals. We ask them to prioritise profit. And to me, that's what they're doing. And if you look at everything that's happened in the last three years, I think most of it can be explained through those terms. 
you like can you remember any of the things that you might have got upset about a year ago on certain things like i'm trying like i try and look at like what is if i google something right now about covid what's going to be there on the internet compared to what's been taken down that i set a separate view or an opposite view I've seen so many people screenshot things and keep it. Remember when Fauci said this? Remember when this? I go and try and search that up. It doesn't pop up, which makes me wonder in the future when we think about what we went through, is the legacy that we're only going to see the amount of the, how the official narrative story leaks through and it's changed, but nobody's going to remember that change and it's going to look like one straight path when we know that they've gone back and forth so many times. I mean, it brings up a real big issue. Some of these kids are going to wonder why they can't read fucking facial cues when they're in middle school and they're going to Google it on their phone and they're going to be like, well, I, I couldn't find anything because it seems like everybody did everything right. It was like, no, there was a lot of issues that happened and it's kind of how like if you look at history how do we teach history it's written by the winners well look at how the internet's being labeled right now i mean you can't look up shit without going to like the nine thousandth page and even then if you're lucky to see it there you've come across someone's sub stack hopefully yeah it's, it's well documented for instance that google that's a search engine directs you know it would weigh certain things for political reasons doesn't weigh others and Again, I mean, Google is a business. Google isn't there to help you find what you want to find. It's a business. It's there to make money. So it will direct you to areas where it and its sponsors can make more money. That's what Google is there for. So if we start seeing that way, it's about, yeah, I've had the same experience. And then it's always hard to know whether, okay, I'm just bad at searching or what. Yeah. You know, I particular high net worth individual meeting with a you know i read in march 2020 meeting with a um uk prime minister and yeah maybe i was hallucinating i'm pretty sure that i read this but i haven't been unable to find anything on it the um there's a classic um statement from someone else you know in seattle about how the streets were filled with love, you know, as a very wealthy person saying this. And it was a picture of a desolate, empty street because everyone was locked down. You know, there's no people, but they're filled with love. And this was from someone who was gaining tens of millions of dollars at the time, actually billions from the, the lockdowns directly. And while the people who actually should have been on the streets and weren't, most of them were just losing money. And so it was such a sort of egregious, unempathetic statement to make. And I've gone back and tried to find that. And it was a, a major article in a newspaper, and I have not been able to find it anywhere. So it's it sort of, you know, maybe these things just happen. But I think you're right. I, I think there is a... Um, a, a there, there appears to be a sort of sponging of certain things from the internet. And, you know, there's well-documented cases where certain things about certain people have been taken down, even from web archive, et cetera. So uh, I think this is going to happen. I think we, we need to try to, you know, where things really hit us and we think they're really important to remember, we need to try to download the videos and stick on a hard drive um so that we do have this documentation and uh, i think you're right that we need to be able to look back on this in the future and really understand what happened and not through the eyes of those who made a lot of money out of it but 
look at it objectively if we're ever going to stop this happening again we can't leave a few people who happen to own the large internet companies in charge of the basic repository of human knowledge we get lucky with spotify because the guy's swedish or from norway or something like that so he's like yeah say whatever the hell you want i don't care um but uh, there is a problem with holding somebody accountable if you have no evidence to show that this is why they should be held accountable exactly yeah yeah I think I showed uh, on an episode on here, but you can't find it now, about Biden using psychological weapons on people. And he was apologizing for using these psychic weapons. And I had shown the article that was posted up there, and I can't find it anywhere now. I only have the video where I showed it on air, but I'm like, I can't find that article uh, And anywhere. it may well be there somewhere. It, it doesn't mean it's taken down. It just means that the search engines that you're using have algorithms, which make it really hard to find it. Um and well do you think that people that speak opposite of the official narrative on COVID at this time now and at this point with all the information that has leaked out should have a chance to be on some of these platforms and should not be censored as such i think x right now is the only platform that has been open and letting people express and share articles and things of that sort but norman fenton can't have a youtube channel dr drew can't have a youtube channel so many people can't have a youtube channel and talk about certain situations that are specifically focused on the pandemic and the issues and how we can do better as people and be ed better educated to ask questions that we do deserve answers on. I think at this point now, these engines need to lift it up. They need to start opening the door for people to be able to share their opinions and understand that these are not just like truths. These are just people's work and research that should be looked at and highlighted. Yeah, well, we're going to go backwards as a society if we can't. And people make the argument that these are private companies. Okay, well, I mean, if that's true, and this is the main way that people can communicate and further human knowledge, then maybe we better um, make them public, you know. They're utilities. They're utilities. Yeah, yeah, they're utilities. So we should either make them publicly owned and open to everyone. Or we should have really strict regulations that if you're going to start a private channel that has this reach, then you cannot, essentially, you cannot censor it. And yeah, this is getting worse. It's not getting better. There is a, a very strong push now at the United Nations. They've just put out a, a statement on this. And um, that, yeah, so the, the UN is a bunch of unelected people who, you know, get there for various reasons, but it's a, a big industry. It's a lot of very well-paid people. And they are saying that there needs to be more censorship. There needs to be more control. And, you know, they, yeah, they use the term misinformation, disinformation. I mean, what is misinformation? It is something which is inconvenient to the person who is in charge. So you know, is natural immunity misinformation? Because it was, even the WHO tried to deny that it could possibly be effective against COVID-19, but it absolutely is, it always was going to be. Fauci has pointed out that it was. it is always going to be much better than an injectable vaccine. The CDC has done studies showing that it is more effective than a vaccine, yet, it is misinformation and has been misinformation. So you know, what they're talking about is not 
trying to improve the quality of information that people re receive. They're talking about trying to control what information people receive and what they don't. And they can pretend that's for, a, or they can claim that that's for a, what they see as a good. They can decide that vaccination is always, as a lot of people say, it's always good. And therefore, anyone who suggests vaccine is not good is harming people. And this is what, you know, people in this country and the WHO itself is saying. Uh, it's a ludicrous position. I mean, it takes about three seconds to think of a vaccine that has actually been harmful and taken off the market. It is not hard to figure out that someone who's already immune from COVID is 18 years old, male, has a, you know, one in 2,000 chance of getting really significant myocarditis from uh, an mRNA vaccine. And that they can't possibly gain from the vaccine because they're already immune and they're almost no risk in the first place. Uh, it's not complicated to see that it is not misinformation saying that that person probably shouldn't get vaccinated because weighing up the risks and benefits, it's hard to see that the benefits are going to outweigh the risk. But that is classified as misinformation. So, you know, misinformation is a term that it just means, it's just another way of doing censorship. It's no different than inquisition in the middle ages that we thought we got out of and i think you know what is it thomas mann or one of those said you know the idea that um free speech is fundamental to democracy i mean it was also clear from the u.s constitution etc that this is it's essential to allow people even if you don't like this speech it's essential to give them the right to speak because otherwise democracy will rapidly degrade. And now we have people from government down claiming that free speech is an enemy of democracy, that we have to curtail free speech in order to preserve democracy. It is such an Orwellian, ludicrous thing to say if you stop and think about it, but this has become mainstream. So it, it, it's actually pretty scary. Yeah, I mean, the only way you get to know what the truth is or get to know what good ideas and bad ideas are is by get everybody talking. But we've got ourselves in a point now where one side's doing the talking and the other side's typing it out maybe, but that gets eliminated. I mean, are you optimistic or pessimistic about the future of things? I mean, you think that obviously it's going to be a change. And I mean, RFK Jr. is running. I don't know if you're supporting him, but, you know, if you talk about an, a covid oversight committee coming through i mean i still don't think if the media is going to talk about it at all i mean they just had what in january they had a hearing that happened that talked about that there's evidence to support that the cia withheld information that this might have came from a lab or something of that sort i think their final conclusion was that it came from the lab and nobody saw that i was posting up on my story trying to get people to pay attention to it because i was like i even sent it to the people on my show who called me a conspiracy theorist for suggesting it and i was like what the fuck you got to say now nothing they blocked me they said nope not dealing with it and the, the thing the thing was first noticed a few kilometers from the one lab in China that worked on that virus. And it, it's, it's not. It was never a conspiracy theory. It was always the the obvious, most likely thing. Yeah, uh, it's, it's not complicated. But um, yeah, I, I think it's going to get worse, unfortunately, um, because uh, 
the pressure behind this, you know, pandemics are an existential threat and we've got to lock people down. The pressure behind increasing censorship in Western countries, the the concentration of wealth which is driving this and you know through COVID there was a huge constant increase in inequality most people got poorer this the people who are running this essentially have got much richer so that gives them more power to do this even more you know the, the media is not gonna the new york times isn't gonna suddenly come out and just be you know a newspaper on this and just tell us what the news is because there is so much there that would be negative for their major advertisers that they would very likely lose their advertising. They would have to sack a heap of staff and maybe go bankrupt. They're not going to do that. And their investment houses that also own the advertisers are not going to allow them to do that. So we're not going to see some sudden renaissance where, um, you know, there's a flowering of honesty and truth and, open news and discourse because there are so many financial incentives now to stop that from happening so i'm fairly negative in that way i mean on the positive side i think more and more people are also realizing what is going on and realizing that they're not seeing the truth and that they need to be more skeptical and you know they're not wearing masks i think very few people are going to get this new booster um because they have seen enough evidence that it, there's very little gain for them and there's a potential for significant harm so they're weighing this up and they're making their own decisions in the light of their other priorities in life and whatever which is how public health is supposed to work so on the upside i think people you know while we've got this top-down increasingly sort of uh, totalitarian sort of way of doing things authoritarian rule we have this increase in skepticism and defiance amongst the people in general so presumably this is going to sort of clash at some stage and you know hopefully something much better will come out of it but i think it's going to be difficult for a few years while this plays out yeah, I agree too. I'm a little bit pessimistic on the outlook of things. I hate to say that, but I don't know. I'm glad people are starting to kind of look a little bit deeper into things before. I know a bunch of people that got the shot initially and were pushing it on other people that are now skeptical and have not gotten a booster. So that's hopeful, but I don't know what people can be put in a position where that choice of rationability uh, goes out the window and it just becomes, I'm scared. I need to get this. Yeah, and and you know, you mentioned that this country had psychological measures. I mean, it's it's well documented. Every English speaking democracy, you know, in inverted commas now, I think, has a um, behavioral science group attached to their cabinet. You know, Australia, New Zealand, the UK, the UK, it's called Spy B. There's been a lot of talk about this. Some of the members have come out and said, "Yeah, we actually did the wrong thing. We we shouldn't have done this." What they were doing and what their task is, is to, they're given a task like get more people to wear masks or get people to stay in their home because, and that they may feel, they may believe the people who tell them this, that this is a good thing. So their task is to come up with messages and manipulation that will make people do that. So they don't, their task isn't to tell the truth, is to manipulate the population 
into doing something that they wouldn't otherwise do if they just told how things are. So tell people to wear masks, most people wouldn't. But if you run a campaign where you're saying, if you don't wear a mask, you'll kill your grandma or you'll kill the teacher or, you know, whatever. That's not true. It's a lie. But um, if you want people to wear masks, you will say that and then they will do it because they don't want to kill their grandma. It's not because they want to wear a mask, but they don't want to kill grandma. And they believed you when you lied to them. So that is the job of behavioral psychology, behavioral science, unfortunately, with these people. So our cabinets have these, you know, it should be incompatible in a democracy because you can't have the elected government running a unit that is there to manipulate the way people think because it'll always be used to manipulate the way people vote, which is completely anti-democratic, it's unethical in a democracy. But we have this, so we have to deal with it. So I think, you know, we've got to start to be aware of these things. It's not a conspiracy theory. This is the way the world works. And if we want to change it and we want to improve things, we've got to face this. We've got to state, you know, what is happening. We've got to, whatever side of politics we're on, we've got to admit that we've taken away human rights. We've forced vaccinations on people who had minimal or no possible gain from them. We've, um, we are lying to people en masse to get them to do something which some expert or rich person decided was a good thing for all those people to do. And if we think that's a fine way to run society, then we should go along with it. But if we face that and we think, well, that's actually not compatible with all the human rights norms that we thought we'd developed after the Second World War with European fascism and so on, and then, yeah, if we think that we put behind feudalism and colonialism, then we have to face that and stop it. We've got to come up with a better system. Well, David, I appreciate the time you gave me to talk on my show. Is there a place where people can find any of your links? Most of what I write is on yeah, Brownstone Institute. Um, I'm on Twitter, but I'm not a great social media person. Neither am I. I like a lot of us, I, mean, I think this last few years we've seen, you know, think we've seen such obvious things that are wrong that we just feel we've got to say something. But yeah. we're not natural-born speakers. Well, David, you know, I always appreciate having you on the podcast and everything, but I'm going to link all your links in the description. Make sure people click on your Twitter, follow you, uh, tweet out some good articles, or at least repost. I saw you repost that UN thing, so that was interesting. I thought I looked into that. Um, but no, I seriously appreciate the time, David, and thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of Out Blank Podcast. Stay tuned for our next episode.